Hello, and welcome to the Murderosity Podcast, where we discuss all things murder, mayhem, the mysterious, and the macabre. I'm your co-host, Bob Hancock, joined on the other side of the mic by Rebel Roan. Rebel, how are you doing this week? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty excited about this case. How are you? Oh, I am most definitely excited about this case as well. It's going to be something a little bit different since this is an ongoing case, so we'll definitely get to do a bit of theory crafting and... You know, it's all about the facts and the information, but we've all got opinions. Yeah, I can't, I can barely contain my excitement on this one. So, so why don't you take it away for us? All right. So our story today t- takes place uh, December 2nd, 2019. 43-year-old Christine Holloway was mother to one-year-old Vanessa Morales. Christine was a graduate from Southern Connecticut State University. and She loved being a mother. That was always a dream of hers. She worked at a daycare and lived in Ansonia, Connecticut. So Ansonia, Connecticut, I did do a little bit of uh, research on this. There are only really one or two like historical factoids about this, but one of the ones that really stood out to me was back in 1866, Pierre Lament. He was a French native, but he was living in the U.S. at the time. He actually patented the very first pedaled rotary bicycle in the United States. It was also the home of General David Humphreys, who was actually uh, General George Washington's aide de camp and uh, the very first presidential speechwriter in the United States. His home is actually there listed as uh, on the Register of Historical Places in Ansonia. Pretty small town, I think, uh, just around 20,000 people. Okay. But, yeah, from such small places, uh, two most interesting facts popped up. So, uh, you were telling me about Christine, though. Yeah, so when her family didn't hear from her and she didn't show up to work, a welfare check was called on her. Police originally showed up at 1 p.m., but they didn't gain entry until a second visit later that night. Unfortunately, when police arrived, they found her nude, beaten body in a bathtub. The coroner later determined that her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head and torso and ruled it a homicide. Christine's skull suffered severe damage, including a piece of her skull being missing, and she was ultimately identified through dental records. Wait, so you're saying that she was beaten so badly that even in her own home, the the only way they could tell who this person was was through their dental records? Correct. That's brutal. Yes. The daughter, Vanessa, was 14 months old, but was missing, and she's still missing to this day. Initially, police issued a silver alert on her, but they changed it to an amber alert. So silver alerts are usually intended for missing people, and that includes adults and or children. But amber alerts are specifically for children who are under the age of 18 that are believed to be abducted and in danger. Um, So it does show the the progression of the police beliefs as to, hey, maybe a family member might be taking care of her to, we need to find this kid. Right. So on December 3rd, 2019, police arrested Jose Morales on a weapons charge. Uh, He possessed two stun guns. Uh, He was a convicted felon, so it was against the law for him to have the stun guns. And it was just one day after Christine was found dead and Vanessa went missing. Jose and Christine had been dating, and he was Vanessa's father. He was later charged in February 2020 with murder and tampering with evidence. Based on the arrest warrants, a number of things caused him to be charged with the crime. Uh, the day before, Ed, Jose and his friend Hector had gotten seven bags of PCP. PCP is also called angel dust. 
it's a drug that's typically smoked and it's known as a disassociative anesthetic. So it can cause intense hallucinations, distorted perception of sounds, and violent behavior. They smoked a bag and a half, and Jose had been given another two bags. So PCP started off as a more of a pharmaceutical drug, and it's kind of taken on a almost a cult following uh, for recreational use because of the hallucinations and whatnot that you can experience from it. And it's also very, very easy to use, I should say. You had mentioned smoking it. It's often mm -hmm. laced into other types of uh, smoked recreational drugs or cigarettes, um, but you can also take it orally, smoking, injection. There's almost no way that you can't use it. It's incredibly dangerous, though. A lot of times they found that the hallucinations don't stop even after you have stopped using this drug. To call it a mind-altering source is is a bit of an understatement. This these guys are using some incredibly hard drugs and a lot of them. Man, I don't think I'd like to hallucinate for that amount of time at any amount of time, really, but for that amount of time specifically. Oh, that it, I just I can't I can't imagine what that would be like. And at some point, again, it, it's a lot of people have linked a bit of it to hallucinogenic induced psychosis and also kind of a, a schizophrenic almost state uh, where they really do have trouble discerning you know what is and what is not reality it's fascinating drug to research i suppose but there's none of the things it does that i personally would want to experience so yeah, yeah definitely not so on december 1st 2019 there was a 911 call from jose's phone he kept referencing Myrtle Avenue, which was the street that Christine lived on. They didn't live together, so um, it was her the street that she lived on. They enhanced the audio, and a female voice can be heard saying, stop, hang up, who are you calling? And then the call disconnected. So police responded to the Myrtle Avenue area, but they couldn't locate the source of the call. Repeated attempts to call Jose back were unsuccessful. Just kind of a weird thing that happened. Well, well yeah, I, I remember one time... Quite literally one time, I don't know really how it happened, uh, I pocket dialed an emergency number and they they were very quick to respond back. It's yeah, it's it's kind of weird just just hearing what they said. And I don't know, it's it this thing just gets fishier and fishier the more that the more you delve into it does. During an interview with police later, Jose would go on to say that he was out of it on PCP and he saw guys running towards the front door of the home. He said he was punched in the face and knocked out when he tried to call 911 back. So he admits so, to making the phone call, but he was saying that there was people running towards their running towards Christine's house. Well, but were there really or was this part of his PCP induced, you know, hallucinations? Like Right. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot to question here. The police definitely seem lot. to have their hands full on this one. Yeah, this was a long this was a lot of information that we got from this case. So according to the warrant, the next thing Jose remembered was driving back to his home in New Haven, Connecticut, where he lived with his mom and stepfather. He said he was still under the influence of PCP. And we cannot stress enough, do not drive under the influence of anything. It's just right. a bad idea. Yes. And he made it there. I mean, that's a, after smoking a bag and a half and then getting another two bags. I can't believe he was able to drive back after that. Well, and there again, he says he he, he wakes up while he's driving. Right. Like, he, so 
Yeah. Yeah, and he, and he was still under the influence. Obviously, I mean, when you've gone out and and had a drink or two too many, from when you start remembering, you're you're still not good to go. So. Right. Yeah. This is. Yep. It just keeps piling. Yes. Based on the warrant, neighbors saw men they identified as Christine's boyfriend, Jose, leaving Christine's house in the early morning hours of December 2nd. On December 2nd, Christine's brother and his girlfriend went to see Jose at his home and asked if he'd heard from her. When he said no, they went to the police about 7.30 p.m. Antonio police called Jose around 8.20. Um, He first said that he'd seen Christine leave with Vanessa in the morning. However, he then said that they talked on the phone at 7 a.m., but that was the last but the last time he saw them was November 29th. So he's already like contradicting himself and backtracking mm-hmm. on what he's saying. Yep. There's no suspicion there. OK. Oh, not so. at all. Yeah. Yeah. So there was initially some confusion about which car belonged to Christine. She was known at work to be driving a gold Mazda protege, but there was a black Ford Focus in the driveway. As it turned out, Jose and Christine went to a car dealership on November 29th to trade in her car. He originally claimed no knowledge of what car belonged to her, but security footage showed them both at the dealership. So, again, not suspicious at all. No, not at all. Though, with the amount of drugs this guy is doing, I wonder if he he really is just not remembering anything or if he's really just one of America's dumbest criminals. Yeah. I suppose time will tell, but... Did he tell the detectives anything else? He told the detectives that he hadn't heard from Christine, but he tried to call her a couple times without being able to reach her. And later on, he said a few things more about their relationship, but we'll get to that here in a second. But the apartment where Christine lived was a studio apartment above a garage. So there was only one door that provided access. Access could not be gained from the garage or vice versa. So police went back to the residence about 815 and they could see a light on and a skylight as well as noticing a window open. Since the window was open and below freezing temperatures, as well as conflicting information from Jose, police used force to enter the apartment. Okay, so, well, yeah, I mean, if they think that there might be a child up there and it's freezing. The window's open. And this guy is just giving you mountains of contradictory crap, for lack of a better word. I mean, probably was in their best interest to do that. Yes. So they discovered that the door's deadbolt used a key on either side and was locked. So that means whoever left last had to use a key to engage the lock since Christine was the only one that was in the apartment. She was, her body was the only one that was found. So it had a lock on either side to use a key to enter. Okay, so as the perpetrator left, they used this key to lock it back up. Because clearly Christine didn't lock it and walk back to the bathtub. Correct. Yes. Shortly after the discovery of Christine's body, detectives spoke with a neighbor who stated she saw Jose, who they were able to pick out of a photo lineup, leave the residence about 30 minutes after the initial police attempt to conduct the welfare check. So originally they showed up around 1 p.m. and they could see in when they reviewed body camera footage, they could see Jose's Nissan Sentra in the background. And um, yeah, so they so he was there the first time that they tried to go do the welfare checking her. That was when the daycare that she worked at had requested the welfare check. And then later on, the family had requested it. So quite literally just 30 minutes earlier. And this case might have already been solved. 
Yeah. So Ansonia police had the New Haven police drive to ensure that the vehicle was at his parents' house, which it was confirmed to be there and was consistent with the surveillance footage from a nearby resident. Okay. So like somebody else also had like a burglar cam or some sort of CCTV also confirmed this. Things seem to be lining up. Yeah. So police processed the scene and they found evidence of blood in the living room. They confiscated a, a rug as well as some towels that appeared to have blood on them, and they took multiple DNA swabs as well. At 3.40 a.m., police from Ansonia and New Haven went to Jose's house, where he lived with his mother, Lydia de Jesus, and stepfather, Marcos Garcia. Marcos allowed police in and asked if they'd located Christine yet, and they told him they hadn't and asked to speak to Jose, who was in the basement asleep. Marcos went and woke Jose up to speak with the police. And... These poor people, I mean, it's 3.40 in the morning. I can't imagine having the police, and police don't, they don't knock nights lightly. You know, they no. they have a cop knock for a reason. And they're concerned about the mother of their grandchild and their grandchild. Like, right. So these people are, are, they're worried, they're confused. I mean, his first question is, you know, hey, have you located them yet? Right. And yeah, I'm I'm with you on this. There, There seems to be a lot of collateral damage. Yes. Marcos and Lydia noted that Jose usually slept weekends at Christine's house and would always come home Mondays after Christine went to work. He normally brought his 11-year-old son, but he didn't that weekend as the son had other activities planned. Uh, Christine worked at a daycare and took Vanessa with her. They stated Vanessa was not there and consented to a police search, which obviously they didn't find her in in that search. Well, yeah, obviously. Or we wouldn't have the, the case that we do have. Right. So... Things just seem to line up for this guy in this moment. Like normally he would have had a kid with him. Kid right. has plans. Normally, you know, X, Y, and Z would happen. But just for this one moment, nothing did. And he sees nothing suspicious about this at all. So on December 3rd, police took Jose to the Ansonia police station for an interview where he was told he was free to leave whenever he wanted to. He became agitated and demanded to know how he'd get home, saying, I'm free to leave. What am I going to do? Walk home? Police assured him that they'd give him a ride back to his residence, and Sonia is about 25 minutes away from New Haven. During the interview, Jose stated that he did not typically stay the week or that he did not typically stay the weekend with Christine and had not over the weekend of November 29th to December 2nd. He said that although he they called each other boyfriend and girlfriend, he didn't consider them to be close, which is weird considering they have a child together. Well, yes. I mean, even even if it was a a friends with benefits situation that ended up in a pregnancy and they kept in contact, once you start putting labels to things, to me at least, that's where things start to get real. Right. Like I I don't I have a lot of friends that are boys and a lot of friends that are girls. We don't call each other boyfriend or girlfriend though. So right. It's weird. That that's just weird. I'm sorry. Yes. And he but said he I'm didn't old. have any know. clue. I mean, maybe I'm old, too, because I can't, I mean, it's a strange new age, but I don't foresee that this is different. You know, I don't <laughs> think that this is pretty traditional in the roles. Of boyfriend I, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. He said he didn't have any clue as to where the police could even begin their search for Christine and Vanessa and that he didn't know any of her friends. And he stated that he spent the weekend with his friend Hector. Now, this friend Hector, that's the same one from earlier that he was... Uh... Smoking with. the PCP with, yeah. Yeah, he was spending some quality time with his wholesome friend, Hector. So at this point, the detectives pointed out that he hadn't asked about Christine or Vanessa from the car ride to the station. 
that his answers weren't adding up. Keep in mind that police hadn't disclosed that they found Christine deceased at this point. Mm. So he's giving him conflicting information, but he doesn't know that they know that she's dead. Well, and police will oftentimes do that. They'll keep some evidence to themselves or or something just to see if you let on that, you know, more than, you know. So playing his cards may be a little too close to his chest on that. But again, you'd, you'd think that you would at least be curious where your kid is. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the answers definitely don't add up. So, right. Then again, though, he mentioned other children that he had and mentioned that he was closer to them than with Vanessa. And he made it seem like the family tolerated Christine, but loved the baby. So that's why they put up with her presence around them. So, and he seemed more concerned with the fact that police were interviewing him and not Christine's family and ultimately ended up ending the interview without divulging any more information. So he's trying to throw the shade over to her family. Yeah, and, like, why aren't you talking to them? Hmm. Well, I mean, maybe a concerned father would do that, but he just said that he wasn't a concerned father, that he wasn't right. very close to Vanessa. Which, if they find her and she finds out about that, that poor girl. Yeah, it's devastating. Uh, the police seized his clothing as part of their investigation. He was more concerned with where the police were taking him than anything else. He actually asked if they were going to take him to an insane asylum, and they were kind of like, why would we do that? He was talkative on the ride back, but he didn't discuss Vanessa or Christine. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. The plot thickens. Yes. But when they got back to the house, Marcos and Lydia were more than willing to discuss things with the police. And to a true testament, they were very willing to talk about anything and everything with the police, which if I was ever questioned by the police, whether I had done something or not, the first thing I would do is ask for a lawyer. Absolutely. The very first thing, because like if even in your Miranda rights, it says anything that you say can and will be held against you. It yes. says nothing about it being there to help you. No. Um, police so interviews are not your friends. No, not at all. But I mean, they were more than willing to, help and and i can i can see why in this case why they were you know they were more worried about christine and vanessa than they were worried about their son they were surprised testaments to their son though doesn't it (laughs) yes to his character yeah exactly absolutely yeah and they were surprised to hear about jose's alibi and hector they said that christine and jose had gone and traded the car in on november 29th and that they both left their house in separate vehicles because they were presumably going to the same place which was christine's house Mm, okay Wow. So like, I'm sorry, but like the parents seem like they're almost totally throwing their son under the bus. They kind of are. I mean, we'll get a little more into it, but they, you know, they were kind of like, I don't know what he's talking about. He's, you know, not that's not correct. Well, yeah, Um, they they just said that he he was there every weekend. And uh, yeah, this is. Yeah. Okay. So everything he's saying is contradictory because they're telling one thing and he's saying something totally different, like that they're not close. They don't call you, you know, their boyfriend and girlfriend, but they, nobody, you know, everybody puts up with her and whatnot. But Lydia and Marcos said that mm -hmm. Christine was considered part of their family and they cared for her like a daughter. They said that her and Jose had a normal relationship with occasional arguments, but no known acts of violence. Which flies directly in the face of him saying that they tolerated Christine for Vanessa's sake. Right. So I I wonder if they if because they when this was after they arrived back at the house. 
if Jose was sitting there hearing his parents telling the police the exact opposite of everything that he had just spent the last 25 minute car ride home telling them the opposite of. But I'm not really sure, yeah, what he did sitting there just listening to them say everything that he had just denied saying, you know, like that's weird. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so did so they, they say anything that, else? Yeah, they said that Jose came home around 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon on December 2nd, and he didn't mention where he'd been, and he didn't seem to have anything wrong with him. He said that Christine's family was looking for her and that he last saw her on Monday, December 2nd, when she left for work, which, again, contradicts what he had told police because he's he well, I mean, he told them both. He told them that he had seen her and then he backtracked and said, no, I didn't see her. I just talked to her on the phone. Right. And then that he hadn't gone to exchange her car and then you saw right. that he had uh, he, he seems very confused. Well, I mean, PCP will do that, I guess <laughs> it it definitely seems to. Yes. So at that point, police told the three of them that they had found Christine deceased. Marcos was upset. Lydia burst into tears. But Jose just placed one hand over his head and seemed kind of unemotional. Marcos demanded to know if Jose had anything to do with it. And he gave noncommittal responses. Lydia asked where Vanessa was, but Jose again denied any knowledge. So again, though, the mom and the stepfather are immediately turning to Jose. What like, did you do? What did you do? Yes. What, where is our granddaughter? What have you done? Uh, and there's not even it doesn't even seem like there's a moment of consideration. Like, do you know anything about this? No, it's like, hey, no, you know about this. What did you do? Right. And I think it's also important for our, our listeners to catch this. When Marcos confronted Jose, Jose does not deny anything. Right. He doesn't say he didn't do it. He gives very noncommittal answers. He, he he won't confirm or deny anything. I don't know if that's out of some sort of like I don't want to lie to my 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 father in law or my family or or something along those lines, but that's right. that's some stuff. Yeah. Lydia said that she that he couldn't have been at Hector's house because he FaceTimed her from Christine's. And then he denied it and said he'd been at Hector's, but tried to make it look like she was at Christine's. So he, she kind of like was like, well, you there's no way that you were at Hector's because you FaceTimed me. Yeah. Like, what did he do? Go and borrow some like wall hangings that she has and hang them up in his buddy's house or like right. that's just that's just a weird that's a really weird alibi. It is. Yeah. So at the house, um, both detectives and the family noticed that Jose had cuts and abrasions on his knuckles and arms, as well as swelling and redness to the right side of his face. And again, probably noncommittal about that as well for what happened. So kind of like defensive wounds as though he had someone had been trying to defend themselves uh, against him, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. So police obtained a search warrant and conducted a search of the basement, which included a laundry room and a bathroom area that was also included with his bedroom. They seized towels from the shower that appeared to have staining consistent with blood, phones and electronic devices belonging to Jose, a white T-shirt with stains on it, and the two stun guns that led to his arrest. This this is almost like an Al Capone getting caught for tax evasion, like. So since, yes. since he's a felon, he is not allowed to have certain items, stun guns being among them. Again, like th this guy is just a, a titan of intelligence. Keeping these right. things there, you know, they're just 
one thing after another. But again, as a felon, firearms and stun guns are things that you are not allowed to have and would be a violation of any agreement whatsoever. So, Right. And you found out that he was a felon because why? So it was drug related. Drug conspiracy and distribution of fentanyl is what I found, which very much lines up with the PCP use that we're seeing here as well. Right. So in the United States, we we do see uh, an opioid and fentanyl epidemic that's absolutely ravaging the lower classes right now. Um, yeah, my, my daughter lost a friend to fentanyl overdose uh, not too long ago, actually. We had uh, a cook that I worked with pass away over the weekend from an overdose as well. Absolutely devastating. I'm so yeah. sorry for your daughter's friend. Yeah, he was only, I think he was only 18 or 19. So it was it definitely hit home and she was, you know, oh, too wow. young to to witness that kind of loss, I think. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's, that, that hits home at a whole nother level. Um, yeah. That's, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, if you are suffering or you're struggling, there are ways that you can get help for that. Please do. Please do. Yes. It's not worth it. It's definitely and not worth losing your friends over that or your loved ones because they're, they're going to miss you. They're going to miss you terribly. Yeah. And fentanyl is such an easy to overdose drug that it doesn't take very much. No, not at all. And these things were that originated as prescription drugs and whatnot. Like, uh, even doctors make mistakes with that and people die from accidental overdoses. So self-medication is, is a terrible, terrible idea. Don't do it. Yes. Yes. So going back to our story, they processed Jose at the Antonio Police Department and took DNA samples from him. They also confiscated the Ford Focus, which had no pertinent evidence, as well as Jose's Nissan Sentra, which they found a black contractor-style trash bag with what appeared to be a blood-like stain. DNA swabs, including to the front passenger's door, interior door handle, which appeared to have another blood-like stain. And Christine's DNA was found to be on the trash bag, the gas and brake pedals, the door handle, as well as... Uh, Jose's DNA, and then a third unknown individual. Okay, so there's still somebody else out there that we don't know their DNA that was there. That literally drove the car. Yeah. I mean, so it could be that they found, you know, they touched things and prior to the murder took place or, you know. And it wouldn't oh, yeah. be that abnormal to find Christine's evidence in the car if she rode in there. But it's just kind of strange that there's also blood-like stains that I think we're still trying to process. That's it, that's fascinating because the body was left at her residence in the bathtub. Maybe this will be a case that we delve into at another time. But I, I, I recall a case in one of my more macabre readings where guy couldn't look at his victims and put a bag over their face. Uh, I wonder... I'm sure that they'll figure something out, but just just a theory crafting there. Right. That would explain how the blood would have gotten onto the inside of this trash bag. But again, why would you not dispose of something that had potential blood on it? Right. Well, and that's we'll see. There was an attempt to dispose oh, of. Yes. The plot uh, thickens. Yeah. Hector didn't verify a solid alibi for Jose. He said that Jose came and went throughout the weekend and he, he didn't have Christine or Vanessa with him during any of the visits. He did say that police or that Jose asked him to tell police that he was there all weekend, though. Oh, so, so even Jose's throwing him under the bus. His his friend Hector, his his mom, his his father-in-law or his stepdad. I'm sorry. Good Lord, this man. Yeah, yeah. honor among right. thieves. So yes. 
on December 5th, a daycare provider, not the one that Christine worked at, but a different daycare provider, discovered that in their donation bin, there were several items that appeared to have blood on them. Mostly, they were children's items with the exception of a bloody towel that appeared to have hair and skin on it. And there was also clothing that appeared to have blood on them. They found mail in Christine's name, Nike shoes, and a child's pink croc. They found the matching croc in Christine's home in a diaper bag. So they found there was an attempt to discuss. I don't know why you wouldn't throw it in a, you know, a dumpster. We and why you it. put it maybe maybe in the confusion you think that the donation bin is the trash can well but i don't know I, so even uh, okay if there were some children's items at a daycare provider that didn't have blood on it perhaps maybe right. but right. mail in christine's name that's just i mean that yeah. there's so many things that just seem very very telling now it mm-hmm. was there anything i mean i know that it it's kind of grasping at straws to say it's circumstantial, but was there anything that tied Jose to this donation box or anything? There was. There was video surveillance that showed a Nissan Sentra that matched the description of Jose's in the area of the daycare on December 1st. And the items all tested positive for blood. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. He is doing himself absolutely no favors. Again, innocent until yes. proven guilty in the court of public opinion all all is fair game and this right. is just re- yeah he he's making also, me run out of words to say and i don't do that <laughs> yeah vanessa's car seat was missing from both vehicles they didn't ever find any evidence of where the car seat went and then police used cell towers and wi-fi routers to confirm that jose had been in the area of christine's house during the weekend when he said he'd been at hector's they found that his ipad made the call to lydia using the wi-fi at christine's house so he didn't dress up Hector's house to look like Christine's no. apartment. No, he was definitely at Christine's house when he made the call to his mom. I'm shocked. Shocked, I say. This, yeah. again, this is one of those things where it, it's it's an easy, pro- easily provable point where they can ping you off of and figure out where phone calls were made, what you did, where you did it. I yes, mean, if you're going to commit crime, do not bring your cell phone. Thank you. <laughs> or apparently your iPad, because yeah, cause don't don't do that either. Yeah, they, they, or or the electronics at home. That's or like it's 1990. We we could not commit the crime. Oh um, well, yeah, they're, they're. <laughs> <laughs> But if you absolutely must, please leave all your electronics at home. That this is not us saying going commit crimes though. I know. Don't don't do that. <laughs> we don't want we don't want to do a story on our podcast about you. <laughs> Oh, boy. The murderosity murder case. No, no, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. So anyway, there was loose hairs found on Christine's hands and they tested positive for both for both her and Jose. They found blood and tissue on the shoes that Jose was wearing the night of the arrest and they tested positive for Christine's DNA. And then one of the shirts that they found in the daycare's bin tested positive for Jose, Christine and a third unknown source. That infamous third unknown source. But. Since the blood and tissue were found on his shoes, that's also probably why they found it on the brake and yep. gas pedals in his car as well. Yes, exactly. Yes. So um, what did the detectives um, do next? So on December t- 12th, the detectives interviewed Jose at New Haven Correctional Center where he was incarcerated pending the charges related to the stun guns. Uh, he changed his story a little bit, indicating that he and Christine had a good, loving relationship 
and said that he didn't remember anything Friday, November 29th, and that he was high on quote unquote dust at the time. And he said that he didn't hear police knocking during the first welfare check during the day when his car was there. I mean, or that he thought it was Hector. He wasn't really sure which if, if either he didn't hear it or if he thought it was Hector. Well, I mean, but if Hector's his dear good buddy, why would he not answer the door? Right. And I mean, I think, again, it the guy's story's all over the place. It is. But, but to say, oh, yes, now I remember. We, we definitely loved each other. I wouldn't harm her. It's, it's, it's fishy. It's really it fishy. Yeah. And then he remembered going to the dealership with Christine, but he didn't remember going to a nearby gas station on December 1st in Ansonia. But there was surveillance footage showing him being there. And so those cameras keep keep hurting his his defense over and over again. Yes. About an hour and a half into the interview, he finally asked about Vanessa. The police asked if maybe he dropped her off somewhere in his drug induced state. And he said that it was possible, but he wasn't sure. I truly don't like the sound of that. I really, really don't don't like the sound of that. Uh, Man. Yeah. That that's that's dark. That's that's about as dark as it gets. Yes. Uh, He said that when Christine's family asked about her whereabouts, he that he said he'd spoken to her, but he couldn't remember doing due to still being cloudy minded. He said that for the last three years, his morning routine was to FaceTime with Christine and to talk to her on lunch breaks. And he said they loved each other and did not fight. Which kind of goes back to what his parents said, that it was a pretty loving relationship. Right. Police showed Jose evidence that put him in the vicinity of the daycare where the bloody items were found. They showed him photos of bloodstained items, and then he showed little to no reaction. But when he saw the pink crock, he became emotional and asked if it was Vanessa's blood. And they told him, no, it was Christine's. Okay, small favors there. At this point, though, Jose blamed the other guys, which that was the men he saw while he was high on PCP, where he called the police. Um, He said that they were the ones that were responsible for Christine's death and Vanessa's disappearance, but maintained that he would never do that. So he he basically said, yeah, it looks like it looks like I did it, but I would never do that. I know you guys really think I did it and I've done nothing to dissuade you, but. Please believe me, this time I'm telling the truth. Right. So it's important to note here that the case is currently awaiting trial and Jose is presumed innocent until proven guilty. He's scheduled to go on trial sometime this fall and is pled not guilty to the murder of Christine as well as the two firearms charges. And he's not been charged for the disappearance of Vanessa at this time. And he's being held on a $5 million bond. This kind of this is where we kind of get into our missing persons case of the week as well, because our missing person is tied into this case. It's Vanessa Morales. The last time she was seen was November 29th when she was outside with a man matching Jose's description as he moved car seats around the vehicles. Many neighbors witnessed Jose outside the residence over the course of the weekend and people heard voices and noises coming from the apartment during this time. She's been missing. Police released a digitally aged photo of Vanessa two years after her disappearance. But anybody with missing information on her should contact tip 411 for the Ansonia Police Department. So with that, the family, uh, Vanessa's family and Christine's family have really been pouring a lot into trying to find this missing child. 
the family has issued several statements. They do believe that she has to be with someone that Morales trusts, and they feel that she's no longer in Connecticut. They've taken it so far that in the weeks that followed the homicide, someone had suggested to them that Morales might have taken them to Puerto Rico, where he was born. So one of their aunts, uh, Jody Jocobelis, they actually uh, went there to Puerto Rico and passed out pictures and whatnot, trying to find anything. To be honest, it would be very, very, very hard to do that next to impossible unless you had your own plane or your own boat to do it. Truly, the only way that this will ever be is if someone out there knows something or has seen something. But the only person that knows for sure is most like uh, Morales. The DA is issued statements that more or less says that they're not sure how they're going to convince him to give up any more information. We can hope that he has, uh, if he was involved, that for the sake of his daughter and his family and her family, that he will give up the information that's needed to to bring Vanessa home safely. Right. Now, I think that it is important to note that none of the DNA that they found matched Vanessa's. Right. So there's no actual hard evidence of anything violent happening to the child. So this is one of those cases where we can really keep our, our, our hope up that he put her with somebody that he trusts for whatever reason. Because we still haven't been able to find a reason as to why this happened in the first place with Christine. The, right. The, the motive really isn't there other than perhaps PCP, um, PCP which is yeah. very, very, very possible as far as being the, the main motivator behind it. So if you do know anything or you have seen anything, please take a look at the digitally aged photo. Since it has been a couple of years since her disappearance, Rebels, given the phone numbers and and where to go with any information that you have, this is probably the most important thing that we do here at all is trying to prevent people from ending up as cases on our show. So if you know something, let somebody know. And if you're not comfortable with people knowing that you know something, you can always give tips anonymously. Yes, that's important. Well, Rebel, that was a lot of information to process and one heck of an interesting case. Definitely. Yeah. And there's a lot of speculation. I mean, Jose obviously hasn't gone to trial yet and we don't have a firm trial date for him to start. So, I mean, there's so much that is kind of left to be questioned as far as motive and, you know, what happened. And the only people that know is him and Christine, obviously, but she can't speak for herself so we just and have to wait mis- for the evidence to come out and this mysterious third party that we uh yes we keep hearing about but have have no idea who that could be and i read somewhere that there is over 220,000 pieces of evidence in this case oh it seems to be absolutely overwhelming not only that but his testimony the testimony of his his parents step parents even his his best friend yeah, it's a lot of things seem pretty, pretty straightforward on on this one. And all of this that we're saying is at the time of this recording, by the time you hear this, uh, maybe there have been more developments. But that might be something that we update in a, f- a future episode. But right. Yeah, because this one won't this episode won't air until November 3rd. So that's could be a you know more information before this airs but we'll we can do an update later on if we 
find out more information or once it goes to trial and a resolution has been reached. So belated happy Halloween to everybody on that. Hope you got some great candy and, and, and enjoyed some family times. Rebel, will you be doing anything for Halloween this year? You know, I don't think I will. I think I'm just going to probably binge on junk food and watch some scary movies. What about you? you know, um, well, I've got a couple of friends. We're probably going to get together, play some board games and maybe throw some scary movie or music in the background and not, not, not too terrible much. Keep it a little bit lower key, but at the same time, celebrate the macabre. Yes. Um, my, my family was pretty religious, so I'm making up for it now. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yes, that will have been that. And I'm sure we'll discuss that at a later time too, on another episode, but yes. So thank you everybody for joining us for the murderosity podcast. I'm Bob Hancock joined by the awesome rebel Roan, and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, and if you have any cases that you'd like us to air on our show, then you can email us at murderosity at gmail.com. You can find us at Murderosity on all of the social media platforms. So go ahead and give us a follow so you can keep updated on our campaign's journey. Absolutely. A like and a follow does much more than you realize. Yes. Well, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye.